Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. WFAN. WFAN-FM. New York. talking about myself I'm talking about the guy who does the announcing Paul Turner mm. actually live and in person the other day you never can tell what's going to happen with this 30th anniversary of WFAN I understand there's some more goodies coming. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We are going to have a very good show today. I'm in a good mood, which always is a good thing. Happy summer. It officially, of course, is a summer now. And in hour one of our program, the discussion that we're going to have, I think, will be an inspiring one and also an interesting twist that our guest has to share with us. I'm very pleased to say that uh, Emil DeAndres is joining us on our program. He's the author of a publication from uh, Schaffner Press entitled Hard to Grip. We're going to be hearing about uh, this publication because it's a memoir about youth, baseball, and chronic illness. Uh, Emil is a former baseball pitcher. He writes, teaches English, coaches baseball at the College of San San Mateo in uh, California. And uh, he is going to share his story as um, we discuss here on The Fan. First of all, it's nice to have you join us on our program, and good morning. Thanks, Bob. Thank you for having me. Now, where exactly are you joining us from? Right now, it is noon in Prague. I am on a sort of, I am traversing Europe with my wife right now. We went from Paris to south of France to uh, Venice and uh, Florence, and now we're in Prague, and then we're going to Belgium and Amsterdam after that. Oh, that sounds like a wonderful time. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm envious of you. Hopefully. It's- yeah. Well, it, it, it's a lot it's a lot easier to phone in right now uh, in Prague than it is uh, in San Francisco. I think it would be, you know, 3 a.m. in San Francisco. So it works out great. Yeah, we got you to, got you to do this because of the fact of the time difference. So worked in a that's positive, right. That's right. Fashion. I appreciate I appreciate your courtesy. <laughs> well, there's a lot to talk about in um, your story, and let's go back to your youth 
and baseball. When did your love of baseball begin, and how did it start? Um, you know, I think like most kids who end up playing baseball and who end up loving baseball for their whole life, uh, it starts pretty young. I think my first memories uh, as a as a person are of me playing wiffle ball with my dad uh, in a park in San Francisco. Um, and, you know, I think around fifth grade, it used to be when, when kids started to, you know, pitch instead of coach pitch and uh, every, every kid wanted to get on the mound. Uh, and I got on the mound and I loved, I loved throwing strikes and I loved getting people out and that sort of blossomed, uh, throughout high school. And, uh, it ended up, you know, one of the reasons I think that I experienced success, I never really threw that hard. Um, but the, the fact that I was a lefty is just, there's some, there's something magical about being a left-handed pitcher in baseball. It just sort of gives you an automatic, uh, advantage. And so, uh, I think that sort of worked, you know, that worked to my benefit. And so, yeah, I, I mean, when I was a very young kid, uh, I was playing with football with my dad and then things just sort of developed from there. Who was your idol growing up or idols? That's a great, that's a great question. I love thinking back to that. Well, so I grew up in the Bay area in the late eighties, early nineties. That was when my love for baseball really started to grow. And I think another reason why I really started to like baseball is because, uh, the Oakland A's back then were such a powerhouse team. Uh, and it would later turn out they were all villainous steroid users, but uh, at the time when I was a when I was a toddler when I was a toddler they were literally superhuman you know heroes and so um, my dad worked for a company that had season tickets to A's games so even though I was being raised in the city of San Francisco I ended up going to more uh, A's games than I did Giants games and you know I would go there and uh, there was Mark McGuire and and Jose Canseco and those were my those were those were some of my heroes but I really liked Ricky Henderson for some reason. I liked, uh, and I, I think, you know what it was, because kids, when, when you're young, you can gravitate towards an idea or a person for, for weird reasons. And I think I gravitated towards Ricky Henderson because he had such a unique batting stance. He was just like all in this weird crouch, way on his back leg, and uh, it just looked cool to me. And so um, I think he, he was pretty small, and I think I liked that about him too. So Ricky Henderson, was even though I never turned out to be an outfielder or anything, or fast at all, uh, Ricky Henderson was my idol. Hmm. What kind of a hitter were you? Uh, well, in my, in my book, I, I kind of get into it. I was, I was the cleanup hitter for my high school team, but that mm-hmm. doesn't really say anything because my high school team was not that good. And, uh, you know, a cleanup hitter is supposed to have power, but I, I only hit one home run in all of high school. And it was a, it was a sharp ground ball, uh, on a field without a fence. So, uh, I was I wasn't the uh, I wasn't the prototypical power hitter. When you think back to that period of time, how did your experience, first of all, with baseball, help to shape the person that you are today? Um, it's a great question. I. Well, I mean, now in retrospect, because I can't play it, um, my experience with baseball as a whole, uh, like my whole narrative experience, the arc of it has taught me to really uh, appreciate things uh, when you have them, appreciate something good um, when you can experience it, while you can experience it. 
Um, I think playing baseball your whole life just teaches you to kind of be resilient uh, in many different ways, uh, a competitor in many different ways. And it also teaches you, I think playing baseball teaches you, and this is from any side of the game, as a hitter, as a pitcher, whatever, it, uh, it humbles you at some point. It, it humbles everybody. And it teaches you to be able to sort of push through rejection uh, and that can that can help you in a number of categories uh, in life, but yeah, those are the those are the ways I think baseball has helped shape me. And we've alluded to the fact that this sport that you loved and playing the sport that you loved was taken away by illness. What happened? So uh, in 2008, I finished. I wrapped up a career uh, as a relief pitcher for University of Hawaii Hilo um, and University of Hawaii Hilo was not the, it was not a powerhouse team by any means. We were usually playing powerhouse teams and getting pummeled by them. Uh, but so there weren't many scouts coming to our games uh, to, to check out anybody from our team. But so I was not a draft prospect at the end of my college career, but I did, I, I had a, I felt like my arm had a little bit left in the tank uh, and I definitely didn't want to join the real world as a regular civilian if I could still be playing baseball. Um, so as I neared my graduation, I started to pursue some some possibilities of professional baseball. And um, one of those avenues was international baseball. And so I looked at all these different teams and um, in Europe and I put up a, a, a video of a bullpen that I threw on YouTube and a team in Belgium offered me a contract. Um, and so I was excited. I was going to go play professional baseball in Europe and sort of prolong this, this baseball career that had taken me at this point, it was going to have taken me all over the world to Hawaii and, you know, Belgium was going to be awesome. Um, and just right around that time, right when I arranged the contract, um, I started to feel, uh, a weird burning sensation in my pitching elbow. Um, and I didn't really think anything of it because when you pitch your whole life, your arm always goes through weird little sensations and things that usually end up going away and, or, or you play through. Um, and so I expected this to be one of those and I didn't do anything about it. And then the, the burning started to sort of intensify and spread around my elbow. So I went to a doctor, he gave me a cortisone shot and I thought it would be done. And then I was back, uh, about a week later with more swelling. And this time it had spread to my my fingers in my throwing hand, my, my, the knuckles in my hand were starting to swell up and balloon. And, you know, over the course of a few more doctor's visits, um, this, this sensation spread all over my body and they diagnosed me with rheumatoid arthritis. And this all happened in the, this is like a whirlwind of a month, like a professional baseball contract and the onslaught of a weird sensation and the diagnosis of a, um, a pretty improbable disease. What did you know about rheumatoid arthritis at that time? That's the question I want to pose to you um, when we return in our discussion. We're talking with Emil DeAndres on our program on the fan this morning. He's joining us in hour one. As I mentioned at the beginning of this hour, he's the author of Hard to Grip. It's a publication from Schaffner Press. And he's sharing with us this story that is involved, um, talking a little bit about his youth, his love of baseball, and how chronic illness has 
changed things uh, in his life. And we'll get into talking about that in the course of our discussion as well. He's joining us from um, a trip that he is on with his wife. He's in Prague this morning, and he's sharing information with us on our program. A little later in the program, if you want to join us um, based on some of the inspiration that he is sharing with us and share your thoughts, you can as well. And thanks for being part of our program this Sunday morning. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting irony that there would be this mention of Ricky Henderson in this first hour of our program, and it's Yankees Old Timers Day today. That message from uh, John Sterling shared with us. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our program on The Fan. I'm Bob Solter. Interesting discussion that we're having with Emil DeAndres, and we've really just started in this uh, chat this morning. He shared a little bit about uh, his background in terms of being a young man who had developed a love for baseball, was a left-handed uh, pitcher, and we'd gotten up to the point where you had been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And I pose the question to you, which I'm going to pose again now. How much did you know about that at that time? Yeah, it's funny uh, because uh, any – well, rheumatoid arthritis is a disease that typically targets uh, older women, like mm-hmm. women going through menopause. Uh, so I was, uh, I was a 23-year-old man in the physical prime of his life, um, and so all I'd ever heard about rheumatoid arthritis was that someone's mom had it or someone's mom's mom had it. And uh, I, and that was all I knew. And I'd seen people with rheumatoid arthritis every once in a while. But when I was a kid, growing up, playing baseball, I, you know, you feel invincible. Uh, and so I would just see people kind of hobbling around every once in a while and hear they had rheumatoid arthritis. And I wouldn't think much of it because it just, that kind of thing wasn't on my radar. So when the doctor asked me, uh, well, what do you know about rheumatoid arthritis? I laughed in his face uh, because I knew nothing, you know, and I didn't think as a 23-year-old male I was, I should have known anything about it. And being diagnosed with this, what did this mean? Mm, At the time, I mean, now I've had it for 10 years, but uh, at the time, I had no idea. And I, I went through a pretty significant stage uh, of denial. Uh, and my book sort of chronicles that uh, pretty specifically. But, um, you know, I, I didn't want to, you know, they prescribed medication to me initially because the doctors, evidently, when you're diagnosed, the quicker you attack the um, the disease with medication, the the likelier it is to sort of be held at bay. And so they were really urging me to take these meds that they had prescribed. Um, and, and so, you know, so that we could get control of this thing early and quick and maybe send it into remission. But I was sort of, I was sort of dizzied by all the side effects of these disease, uh, of these medications, these potential side effects, like going blind or going bald or vomiting or getting cancer or dying <laughs> like all these things were on the on the pill bottle as risks if you take this these pills uh, but furthermore what, what sort of uh prevented me from taking the meds was if i took the meds then i knew then psychologically i was accepting that i had this disease it was me sort of admitting to myself i had this disease and so i couldn't do that i didn't want to do that um so the meds sort of stayed on my shelf 
for months and that allowed the disease to sort of spread uh with with agonizing quickness throughout my body um and so i did all these i went on all these different holistic quests trying to find alternative approaches to to cure or to you know to medicating this disease and so i went to a chinese healer uh a herbalist who gave me these herbs that were frightening both in sight and taste and uh i went to a dietitian and a food allergist uh and i tried all these different things throughout the course of a few months and some things and, and I, I sort of had this placebo sort of experience of waking up and oh do i feel better oh is my left knuckle a little bit shrunken oh do you know can i am i a little bit more mobile in my elbow today and trying to take all these um these notes and stuff and uh Ultimately, I, you know, my, my body was falling apart and I could barely walk up a flight of stairs and I had to take the medication. So did you at that point or during that period of time say to yourself, why me? Uh, no, I, no, I, I, I think my parents thought why him a little Mm -hmm. bit, but, uh, I've never, I don't think you could ever be a why me person. And I just, I would, I I never was a why me person because I think I learned early on, and this is probably through my experience with baseball, that if you're a why me person, um, more things are going to happen to you. You did. I think that, I think that attitude invites negativity into your life. And I think that, that, that attitude invites stagnance, uh, and not moving forward and not progressing. Um, and so, if I had been a why me person, I, I probably never would have played college baseball to begin with because the rejection throughout the recruitment process would have prevent, would have led me to give up or just become bitter that someone else got a scholarship before I did and stuff like that. So I think, um, I mean, statistically, anyone can ask why a 23 year old male get a disease that is, you know, predominantly an old woman's disease. That's a question, but it's not a, it wasn't a question that I, that I allowed to plague me. Interesting. Now, when we talk about how this changed your life, obviously this took playing baseball out of the equation. So how did your life change? Where did you shift your focus to? Yeah. Uh, you know, when you get diagnosed with, with a disease like rheumatoid arthritis, I think there's two there's two ways you have to sort of acclimate to it. And one of them is obviously um, the physical side of it. Like your body can no longer do things it used to do. And your body can barely do very normal things anymore without, you know, extreme pain. Like you have rheumatoid arthritis, suddenly it's hard to tie your shoes. Or you have rheumatoid arthritis and suddenly it hurts to towel off after a shower or to get dressed or to do anything like that. Um, and so you have to get used to that and you have to get used to your limitations and saying, Oh, I can't do that today. Um, and that's, and that's sort of cut and dry black and white. Like you can and cannot do things, but an element that is a little bit harder to, uh, sort of acclimate to is, is the mental side of, of these limitations that your body now has. And I think, that was that was harder for me because I was used to spending, you know, three hours a day on the baseball field, you know, either playing catch or long toss or throwing a bullpen or lifting weights or running or just being with the guys, being with the team. 
and now suddenly all that was stripped away and you have this huge gaping window uh, in your day where that can get pretty morose uh, pretty quick psychologically uh, if you sit around and think about it. And so I needed to find something that sort of occupied my mind and challenged me and took up time the way, um, the way baseball always had. And I needed to be able to, I needed to be able to find something that I could actually do because there's so much, it's not like I could take up, you know, hiking or, or anything, you know, physical. So I, I had majored in creative writing in college. I had just gotten my, um, my diploma and I, sort of deduced that writing was one of the things I physically could do at the time of my diagnosis. And so I started to commit myself to, um, to writing a lot, uh, about the same amount of hours a day that I would have been playing baseball. What were you writing? Uh, a bunch of doomed short stories that never really, um, (laughs) were, were published, but, um, I started out, you know, trying to write short stories and trying to sort of mimic the authors that I had read in my undergrad program. And then uh, uh, slowly I started to have a couple short stories published. And then this is all around like 2009, 2010. And about 2011, uh, when I had sort of started to accept that I had this disease, um, I started to write the book Hard to Grip. And doing the book... Um, what was that experience like for you? Because in a way, obviously, you know, you're, you're reliving a lot of what you went through. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. This book was written throughout the process kind of, of me. There's not very much that's retrospect retrospective in this book. It, it kind of was written as it happened from 2011 until now. And I kind of wrote, the narrative arc of this book as the narrative arc of it was happening. Um, Every element, there's five parts to the book. I mean, obviously when I, I reflect on my high school and college playing days, those are, I'm drawing from memories, but anything dealing with the disease was written as it happened, including a, a cross country road trip with a bunch of buddies of mine. And I, in which I tried to sort of, literally run away from these problems that I was experiencing at home. Um, all these, all these sorts of moments, uh, that I experienced as I acclimated to the disease were written sort of in like in the present time. So, um, but in terms of reliving some of these, the harder times, I, one thing I did was I tried to, I write, I tried to write everything with humor even as I was going through these things. So even as I was experiencing these hardships and these, these painful, you know, moments and um, psychological sorts of the psychological trauma of having a disease, I wrote about them in my book uh, with humor and I never knew really why I was doing that. And then after I, after the book came out and was published, I sort of started to understand that it was, it was kind of like a psychological mechanism for, for getting through it. Um, Approaching all these sort of these dreary, uh, experiences and, and looking at them and conveying them in a way that was humorous, I think helped me see the light of the situation and helped me sort of, um, sort of get through it, uh, easier. So, yeah, I think writing with humor really helped me, um, 
make this book publishable and also helped me get through some of the harder times. Does it, I mean, when you say it helped you get through some of the harder times, does it, does it, I guess, in a way, keep things in perspective? Yeah, it, yeah. Well, I think everybody goes through what I've gone through just in a different way. Like, uh, life will always take something away from you before you're ready. In my case, it was baseball. Or, you know, um, life always gives you things that you are unprepared for. In my case, it was a disease. Um, so in those ways, like, my book is is similar to an, every every person's experience in life. It just happens to have a unique twist. And I think um, that was an important perspective for me to understand uh, as a writer and as a person. Um, this disease sort of gives me the perspective that everybody sort of goes through something like this. Everybody gets gets physically challenged at, at some point or psychologically challenged at some point and has to figure out some way of of getting through it. I want to pose a question, and we'll pick this up when we move into the home stretch of our program in just a few moments, but I want you to think about this. The process of writing, because one of the things I've thought about in terms of looking at your publication and also talking with you today is wondering if moving toward writing and writing in the fashion that you have if that has given you kind of a, a sense of peace. I'd like you to address that when we continue in our discussion. We're talking with Emil DeAndres on our program. Uh, he is now an author and baseball coach. Uh, he is sharing with us in our discussion. He has an interesting publication entitled Hard to Grip, a Memoir of Youth, Baseball, and Chronic Illness. It's published by Schaffner Press. More about the book and more with Emil as we continue in our program this Sunday morning. Well, there's all kinds of anniversaries around this place. Yeah, yeah, 30th anniversary of this station, 10th anniversary of Boomer and Cart. Mike Francesa's leaving at the end of the year after 30 years. I mean, it's it's everywhere you turn. Every time you turn around, there's somebody else is having an anniversary here. Well, good morning. I'm Bob Salter. And on our program, we're having a very good discussion with Emil DeAndreas, on a program, he's uh, now an author and a baseball coach. Uh, he's also sharing with us a very interesting story. Uh, hopefully, some of you are finding this um, to be an inspiring one. You want to join us in our discussion, you can too. Uh, WFAN toll-free line is 877-337-6666. Um, Emil has shared an awful lot with us, and we've got more things to get into in the course of this discussion. I also mentioned the fact that the memoir that uh, he's put together is entitled Hard to Grip, a Memoir of Youth, Baseball, and Chronic Illness, published by Schaffner Press. I posed the question to you before we paused for our update and messages. Writing, has this process brought you a sense of peace? Um. Yeah, it has. I think a sense of peace with the disease, um, not necessarily, because you never know what, where this disease will go. I've had it for 10 years, and it seems the medication sort of has stabilized it, but I have a lot of life left, uh, and who knows what will happen with the disease. But in terms of just coming to peace in general, 
with life, I, I think writing has helped that because I know no matter what happens with this disease, uh, I, writing is something I will always have. And I can't really say that about anything else in my life. Like uh, even things that I hold dearer to me than writing, I can't say I will always have those things. But writing, it's like, it's very comforting to have an out. And um, writing is like, is my out. I can always depend on it. It is always something that will be there. Um, and I will always be able to do it with this disease. That is something that, that this, that this disease will not and cannot take from me. So there is, there is a very, there's a peaceful feeling that overcomes me knowing that, um, that I will always have writing. And so in that way, yeah, I, I have, it has brought me peace. What motivates you in writing? Or do you have something that motivates you? Whoa. Um, yeah, it could be a number of things. Uh, and I'm sure every writer is different, but oh, it can be something I see in the news. It can be something I experience on the street. It can be a specific person who who is inspiring or very, very aggravating. And uh, there's all kinds of, or I, I don't know. I don't know. It could be something I'm seeing just in the in in our culture that needs to be addressed. Or, God, it's a that's a really really good question. I, it's just anything, anything. I think um, I can wake up and feel the urge to to write about something or expose something or address something, and it can be as simple as that. Becoming a high school coach. Now, for a lot of people, just becoming a high school coach would be an accomplishment. Some might see it as a challenge, but becoming a high school coach for your alma mater, what the heck is that like? It, it was, um, it had its own little narrative uh, arc. Um, certainly because when I was asked to join the coaching staff, um, this is at Lowell High School in San Francisco, uh, where I went. Um, I had just this. This was all during the sort of whirlwind of my career coming to an abrupt end, and my diagnosis sort of taking over, and me sort of getting used to this new life. And what happened was my my old head coach had heard that I was back in town, and they were really light on coaching. Um, and he had just heard sort of through the grapevine that my career had ended but didn't know how, didn't know the specifics of it, uh, the complexity of it. And the reason was because I wasn't telling anybody. I, this was during my, my sort of my stage of ill-advised uh, denial. And so uh, nobody knew what was going on. People just thought, oh, he kind of blew out his arm or, you know, things kind of fell through with his contract. So anyways, he asked if I would come coach. And that was the last thing I could think of on earth that I would like to spend my day doing at, on earth. Because um, I still felt like I should be playing the game. I still felt like, I mean, I had thrown my last pitch, my last college pitch, like a month or two earlier, uh, or a summer earlier, I should say, that summer before. So I was still a very competitive-minded person, and I was still a very like athletic, baseball-pitching-minded person. And the last thing I wanted to be doing was getting on a field with a bunch of kids that were only four years younger than me, who I found to be annoying, who I envied for their, you know, able bodies, um, and, and coaching them. And so 
I very begrudgingly accepted uh, and started coaching, and I was very noncommittal the first the first couple of years, and I think I was a really bad coach, um, and I was pretty bitter, and I you know I, I didn't really connect well with the kids because I just it was clear that I didn't care about them, and um, it was a shame really. And then what happened was that, like in the fourth or fifth year, I started coaching. Suddenly, I realized I, I was beginning to get to know these kids, like. After my fourth year, that was the first cycle where I'd actually watched a, a, a crop of kids start as, you know, young freshmen and mature into seniors. And I'd watch them go through their own things. And I'd watch them. I mean, I'd watch I watch kids break their ankles. I watch kids' parents go through cancer. I watch kids' parents die. You know, some of these kids went through some, you know, some serious stuff. Um, and it brought me closer to them. And it actually, I ended up really caring for them. And I realized that coaching high school baseball is a lot more than just you know, winning or losing or, or just the fundamentals of the game itself. Um, and it was, uh, and that, that was when I really actually started to, to love coaching. And now it's, it's my favorite, it's my favorite part of my day. And it's also given me like a, a deeper love for the game of baseball. Like my love for the game extends beyond just playing. Now it's, I have like a ro- romantic sort of longing and nostalgia for the game that is sort of fulfilled by, by coaching these kids. What's it like being in the classroom? That's great as well. I mean, coaching sort of, I was coaching baseball before I became a professor. And that experience being in front of some kids and getting to know them throughout the course of a a period of time, for some people, it's, it's a season. Sometimes it's four years in high school or a semester in college. Anyway, just getting to know a group of people and letting the community sort of develop its own personality and, um, and feeling trusted by the, these groups of people and developing connections on a very personal level from kid to kid or student to student. Uh, it's really, I mean, it's, it's great. I wish everybody could experience that. It's, it's, I, I love doing it. I, I have very lasting relationships with the students and the, um, the players that I, that I coach and teach. Um, and it's great. I, I, I love it. Can you describe for us, I didn't ask you this earlier purposely, what's it like to live with rheumatoid arthritis? Um, it's really humbling. It's really frustrating. Um, and it's also really enlightening. And I think it, it teaches you the the beauty of when things are going well in life and the sort of the fragile nature of it and how it can be taken away at any, at any moment. And it's taught me also just, um, I mean, it really humbled me having rheumatoid arthritis because I was going, like I said earlier, I was going from being in the physical prime of my life, being a professional athlete to, um, at an age when I felt invincible, like a 23 year old male is, you know, they rarely have they been humbled yet. They kind of feel there's like a machismo quality to a 23 year old male athlete that um, it's kind of obvious that life has not humbled them yet. And so the rheumatoid arthritis was it, I don't know it. I think it added a level of complexity to my personality just because I was slapped in the face and I realized life goes on. And I sort of came, I've come to realize that everybody goes through something like that. Um, throughout the course of their life at some point. And so it's caused me, I think, to have a level of sensitivity in my personality and 
and the, the varying things that people experience in their own lives. And, and it's given me an, an understanding. It's been really helpful, I think, you know, teaching college and, and coaching baseball that it, kids can be going through a, a whole number of things that are, I mean, rheumatoid arthritis is, is, a, is under the umbrella of these things called invisible illnesses. Because uh, you can't really see. I mean, if you look at my fingers, <laughs> if you look at my fingers, you can tell I have a disease. But other than that, my disease is pretty uh, invisible. And so that has sort of taught me that you know it, everybody's got some sort of invisible thing going on with them. And um, so it's it, it's a humbling thing to know. It's a humbling. It's a it's a good way to go through life. I think is just knowing that everybody goes through something. But other than that, you know, the disease is frustrating. It, it has a personality of its own. You can wake up and sometimes it is, it is mad at you and it is holding a grudge against you and it is taking out its anger on you. And you can, and other days you wake up and you kind of forget you have it, you know, um, it's, it's, it's bizarre. It, it's, it's, it's very bizarre. Emil DeAndres talking with us on our program on The Fan. His book is entitled Hard to Grip, a Memoir of Youth, Baseball, and Chronic Illness. It's published by Schaffner Press. What we'll do as well is, I said we'd try to work in a thought or two from some of the folks listening to us, WFAN's toll-free line, 877-337-6666. It's brought to you by Mohegan Sun, Connecticut. Mohegan Sun Pocono and Resorts Atlantic City. Let's go to Bill in Flushing, who's been holding for a while. Bill, good yeah, morning. Good. Welcome to the fan. Uh, good morning. Yes, we Hello? don't. Yes, we don't. Bill, we don't have a lot of time. So, uh, look, uh, there's a book uh, called Fresh Fruits and Vegetables by Norman Walker. Okay, he goes. It's the nutrition guy, <laughs> and uh, it it. It may help him. Uh, there, there's something in the article he writes about uh, uh, dealing with arthritis using grapefruit, orga- organic grapefruit. I mean, I've been doing it 12, 13 years. I had a wrist problem, and uh, the doctor says to me, uh, he wanted to put me in a cast, uh, you know, and uh, I've been doing it, and it helped me, and he's very surprised that the situation didn't get worse. It could very well stabilize him. Well, that's actually very good information to share. Thank you. Fresh fruits and vegetables by Norman Walker. He deals with nutrition. And it's a better way than taking medication, as he was saying. There's so many risk factors. You got It's like committing suicide taking these <laughs> medications. Yeah, it's not the way to go. Bill, thank you for your call this morning, and also for that information too. You know, I'm sure you get suggestions from people like uh, Bill of, you know, different things that people have tried as yeah. approaches. Yeah. Uh, Quite common, yeah. It's it's quite common. Definitely. Um, I mean, I I eat a lot of. I mean, well, there's a part of my book where I cut, you know, where I go on a very uh, a very like I eat like a small deer uh, for about three months, <laughs> like only like leaves and tiny berries uh, and literally nothing else. Um, and that was during the period where I was sort of, am I, do I feel better? Is it, is my swelling shrinking? Like blah, 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 blah. And, and it wasn't, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it will later. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm always going to keep trying stuff. Um, so, yeah. 
I want to thank you very much for joining us on our program, sharing the information that you have. Um, hopefully, your words are inspiring to some of the folks listening to us. We certainly wish you the best as you continue. Emil DeAndres, the book Hard to Grip, a memoir of youth, baseball, and chronic illness, published by Schaffner Press. Thank you. Certainly good luck and continued fun on your trip. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. We will continue on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.